Now, ladies and gentlemen, this brings us to the highlight for discussion today. A sharing session by our expert speakers. In this platform, in conjunction with setting up our new and upcoming education sector committee at the chamber, GIS have chosen an interesting topic of discussion whereby we will examine how GIS community responded to the pandemic. They will also explore the community well-being in a broader sense, in the broader sense. And the focus will be looking back at the last six, um, seven or eight months, including the move towards lockdown through the MCO, CMCO, RMCO, and maybe who knows what if um, MCO takes place. And we hope not. And also the topic about students' reaction upon returning to school during these challenging times. There'll be important points for us viewers to take notes from the panelists and they are definitely open for questions or comments from members of the floor much later at the end of the show during the Q&A session. And now, without any further ado, may I invite my co-moderator, Mr. James, and the speakers for today to take over the screen. And now, passing on the session to you, David. Thank you, Leda. Um, and uh, wonderful to join with you today and to join with all the participants uh, today. Um, you've already highlighted some of the key guests from GIS, so we're joined today by uh, Mr. Stitch, the Principal of GIS, um, Ms. Ward, uh, Head of Secondary, Ms. Nelson, the Head of Primary, and Ms. Alpert, who is our Head of Counselling. Um, we're also delighted to we welcome Dr. Gabrielle Salgo, who's a member of our Parent Teacher Group, and by Alex Lim, who um, is, was the Head Student at GIS last year. Um, I'm sure as many of your viewers or as many of the um, uh, people joining us today know GIS is a, an old school. We've been around since 1951. It's well established and it's, it's got a, a reputation. And, and so what I'd like to do is to begin by inviting a number of the panelists just to sum up GIS um, in three words. So maybe starting with uh, you, Nicola, how would you describe GIS in three words? It's a really good question. Um, so I think um, the three words that I would probably use are innovative and, and GIS has this tremendous reputation for being a very innovative place to study and an innovative place to work. I think it's really collaborative and that was something that um, played out during the, the recent pandemic and the ongoing pandemic and it's incredibly collegiate. Um, and this is only my second year at the school and I knew that that these words were words that, that the garden school had a reputation for. But I think during the pandemic, that's really been evident that those words have um, really described the way that the community has come together. And I know that personally, I've never felt alone in this situation. I've always felt as a part of a really big network of people who just want to help support and ensure that we don't leave anybody behind in this situation. Thank you, Nicola. Um, and go and then, like you said, this is your second year, and I'll, I'll bring in Alex now. Alex, uh, former head, head student, has been at Garden um, a few more years than that, I believe, Alex. Um, how, how would you describe, uh, from a student's perspective, from your perspective, Garden in three words? Yeah, so I think that Garden is a really adaptable school. I think we have a really adaptable student body and a really adaptable teaching and um, staff workforce. I think we're a very holistic school. We focus a lot, not just on the academics of the student, but also on the well-being of the student and ways that they can get involved in the wider community. And lastly, I just think that GIS encourages this culture of excellence. 
And I think that this culture of excellence is really what um, pervades the entire school. You know, every student is encouraged to work hard and to achieve the very best that they can and to make the most out of their school experience. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, um, I'm going to bring in um, Beth now, our head of counselling, because you picked up on one of those keywords, well-being, which is one of our core values here at, at GIS. So, Beth, as we were entering into lockdown and preparing not only staff, but our community, our students and our parent bodies for, for what was coming, how did we look to support uh, the health and, and well-being of our community? I think at first, all of us, um, and like GIS as, as an educational system, we needed time to, to process what was happening. And not only to make practical decisions as, as an educational system, but each family needed to make those practical decisions of, of how to adapt their families at home and to e-learning. So in the beginning, it took a little bit of time to adjust. But as we moved on, we sort of noticed that there were four categories of, of GIS families. And I think that the first uh, was our most prominent category. And, and those were our typically resilient families who were continuing to cope and thrive and adapt to, to e-learning at, at home. Um, and then there were typically resilient families who found themselves struggling. And, and these were families that perhaps were impacted more from the, the financial knock-on effect or from parents who had uh, first responders or medical personnel in their families and who found themselves uh, having a, a different, more stressful dynamic at home or families who felt uh, far from uh, as expats from those other families at home who might be struggling, elderly parents and so on. And so we provided a sense of community and contact and empathy for those families. Um, we also had families who, who often struggle for one reason or another who we found were thriving. And oftentimes these were students who sometimes have different issues with, with uh, social anxiety, whom we support regularly throughout the school day in school, but at home found themselves much more, more comfortable and able to focus on their academics and actually ended up much more successful. And then of course, we have a small number of our population who often struggle for various reasons. And these are our families that we have a very bespoke well-being approach to them, where they're very well known by their tutors or their classroom teachers, all the way up to, to leadership. And we all have unique ways in which we delve in and, and support these unique families. But as a community as a whole, uh, we, the, the concept of self-care became more important than, than ever. And by strengthening our emotional skills as parents, we were helping our children strengthen theirs. Uh, I spoke about the fact that this is a unique opportunity. Um, whilst many of us may not be able to keep up with the maths or the history that our students are learning academically, we are the, the, our children pick up on the messages and the modeling that we put forth as parents. And we are our children's best teachers in terms of social and emotional understanding. And so looking at self-care, how we take care of our own anxiety during this time, how we mitigate our own stress, provided a very important role modeling because our children have, will, have never and probably will never be with us for this amount of concentrated time uh, before or, or ever again. So it's a real opportunity that we, we looked uh, um, at how our parents could, could focus on this as, as part of the, the home learning. Um, we also looked at uh, issues of um, 
uh, increasing physical activity, looking at uh, managing screen time, looking at access to the news, maintaining routines, creating new routines, and making sure that people were keeping connections in, in uh, their community. Um, and lastly, I think there, there was a, a pretty steep cur learning curve in, in terms of how children and families adapted to um, adapted their learning expectations at home and to these unique circumstances. And, and we wanted families to, to really focus on the strengths that their children displayed, to throw out the idea of recreating school as school is uh, at GIS, which is based on positive peer pressure and social interaction, um, and be realistic and compassionate to their young people um, as they, uh, they gradually became more accustomed to, to their home learning. I think what we're finding now is that that's working out very, very well and that people are now quite able to just fall back into those aspects that um, allowed them to maintain their well-being throughout the MCO and they're able to put that in place and keep a healthy sense of self now that the CMCO is returned. Thanks Beth. Well we're going to jump forward a couple of weeks then um, once MCO was implemented and learning obviously took place online because school was closed. Um, now I'll bring back Alex. Alex how would you describe the learning at that time? What was it like for you as a student? Yeah so I think within the first week um, of school, of online learning, I think it was a tough transition for a lot of us. We had to come to get to grips with Zoom, had to come to understand how to use Google Classroom and how to you know, submit assignments. And uh, you know, I think it was initially a little bit tough for all of us, but we managed to find our groove really, really quickly. And by the second week, I felt that everyone had almost took online learning on as a, as a second nature, as if we were, you know, learning as if we were in school. And I think that I was just so amazed by the adaptability of um, everyone from students, staff, parents. I think we all work together in order to make this happen. And I find it really interesting because it's not necessarily that we're just trying to recreate physical school. We're embracing this idea of online school. So there were a lot of new resources that were available only online. And I think this whole experience and in the process of us learning how to you know, hold sessions and have classes, we've learned how to utilize a lot of the technology that we have at our fingertips in this, in this day and age in order to help us advance our learning. There have been so many new resources that we found that could help us and uh, enhance us. So I just wanted to say that like, it was just so amazing and I was, really glad as well that the student body was able to, to quickly, you know, come into this and to come in with a motivated spirit and to think, yeah, you know, we can still make this work. School isn't over just because we're not physically there anymore. We can still put in effort. And I think that begins to show. And as time went on, I think the students only um, grew more and more motivated to, to make online learning as successful as it can be. And I was just really, really amazed by that. Thanks, Alex. Um, and, and then jumping forward to Dr. Gabriel, from a, from a parent view then, what, what was that experience like for you with uh, children as the school closed um, physically and learning started taking place at home and online? I think totally correct what Alexander said. Uh, 
the foundations were laid very early, I think, because garden was always, I mean, uh, my kids are there since seven years, and it was always a community. So when, when this unprecedented situation happened, uh, the reaction was very fast. And also the technology was uh, applied in garden with uh, the iPads from a very early age on helped, of course, but they were saving, they were technology savvy and could immediately adapt to this new type of, uh, of, of um, learning and communication. Uh, obviously, I think the psychological side can't be neglected. And there, everybody holds together because also we as parents, we are under an immense pressure, not knowing what is going to happen next. And there the communication with the school was excellent. Teachers were there, the staff was there, uh, reassuring what is coming next, giving next week's, next month's uh, uh, programs, uh, planning, what is happening if it uh, continues, if it goes on, uh, if school starts again. So everything was really very well organized, I must say. And that, that helped a lot. Thanks, Dr. Um, Nicola, I'll, I'll bring you back in a, in a moment um, and just asking, I'll ask you a couple of questions about maybe some of the challenges. But before that, Dr. Gabrielle mentioned about um, the use of technology and obviously at Garden, we're an Apple's distinguished school. It's um, like Dr. Gabrielle said, it's something we've invested in over time. So maybe Amy, to you, how, how has maybe the, um, the way that the school has invested in technology over the years previously supported or, or helped us um, over the last six or seven months? Yeah, good question. I think, um... Technology has been part of our strategic development for a number of years and, um, you know, this is my fifth year at the school and I know going back five, six years, it was a real push in terms of teacher development using technology to support learning. So I think we've placed a lot of time and um, energy into the professional development of our staff to use our one-to-one -one devices that we have in the school. We're very fortunate to have, um, but to use them as a real learning tool. So I think, as Alex said already, the the switch to online learning, although perhaps the first week was a bit of a challenge, actually our staff and our students are very well versed and very skilled in the, the technology that we had. Um, as a school, we have a team of digital coaches who work with our staff in terms of developing use of technology. Um, we're, as you said, an Apple accredited school um, and our, our level of expertise amongst the staff is, is really good. That said, like it was a huge learning curve as soon as we went into this route of online learning. Um, I think within the first kind of six weeks, I guess, of, of being at home and having a really intense period of learning online, we learned a huge amount, all of us, students, parents and staff. Um, and as much as we've set our own goals for developing technology over the years, all of us, <laughs> just suddenly strode forwards in terms of our, our learning and, and using technology. I remember back in, I think it was around May time, we'd put out um, on a Friday, just a little survey to staff saying, you know, what have you learned and what tips and tricks do you have for other teachers and what's working well in terms of teaching? And within minutes, we had hundreds of people sharing all these amazing things that they learned and resources and, um, you know, different platforms they're using in lessons for assessment and for checking understanding and keeping that motivation that Alex talked about and that engagement. Um, so the learning was incredible all the way through and continues to be and, and we've continued to place emphasis on it. 
Um, we recently have spent more time pre going into this latest school closure, looking at where our strengths in our staff are with technology and where um, you know, we still can develop certain areas and we're building that into our professional learning programme, as you well know, David, um, to support whatever the, the next year is going to bring ahead of us. Okay. Uh, thanks, Amy. Um, so going back then to this idea of challenges, obviously it was a very challenging time for everyone. Uh, Nicola, what were some of the more significant challenges? Amy's alluded to about new learning for staff, if you will, about how to access technology in a different way. Yeah. Were, were there any other challenges that you noted in particular? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we we significantly changed and developed our online offer across the whole school in response to, to the things that we learned through feedback from the community. And one of the things that we did after about a month was to look at our timetables and we adjusted them to better suit the majority of parents who were working from home. So we had families who had children in the secondary school and the primary school and the way that our timetables were originally set up, it didn't actually facilitate for those for those students to actually attend their lessons in a household where we, where we also had adults working from home. So we took that feedback and we made some quite significant changes to to try to support that so that, you know, we, we, we're again looking at that well-being of, of the whole family whilst whilst they're at home. Um, and we also, you know, it's been alluded to already about the communication, uh, Dr. Gabriel mentioned the communication, we recognise that con connecting and over communicating as much as possible became a huge priority because of that, that sense of isolation and, and not being in the school. Um, and I know personally, um, I started doing weekly assemblies um, where I wanted to try and be a role model for students and I was showing students how I was keeping fit at home and constantly trying to think of new ways of, of um, connecting with families and, and try to keep those spirits up as well because that, you know, we were aware constantly that we wanted to support that well-being because we, you know, we've, we've mentioned a few times already, well-being is one of our values and we know that if we get that right, that's going to support everything else and all the other learning that goes on in the school. That kind of constant balancing of learning and well-being and how you manage those two in a yeah. new environment, if you will. Um, Alex, from a student perspective then, um, you, you alluded to some of the challenges earlier on. Were there any particular challenges that you or other students uh, faced as we moved online and then obviously as the MCO was extended? Yeah, so I think that um, one of the big challenges that I faced was um, that feeling of anxiety and worry. I felt very nervous coming into online learning. You know, I didn't really know what to expect, especially because now I'm an A-level student and you know, studying for A-levels is a, it's a huge stress. And with online learning, you know, we've never done it before on this scale. So there was a lot of fear, like, you know, what if I, I can't pick up what's going on in lessons? You know, what if I can't concentrate and focus that much? And I think to that end, there's been a really great program that um, the student body has set up and it's called Peer Counseling. We set this up um, at the beginning of last year, actually. And it's where students uh, in sixth form um, are now part of this online program where they help to counsel other students who are feeling anxiety or feeling stress. And we just have an anonymous chat between, between students. And I think it was just such a, a wonderful thing that we managed to do where you could you know, feel the empathy of someone else who, who could say to you, I know what you're going through and I know that the struggles that you're facing. As part of my role as a head student, I'm also 
I'm responsible for the student leadership body. And I felt a, a cry from my student leaders who, you know, we had such uh, ambitious plans for this year to do all sorts of wonderful charity outreach events and, and to host um, big parties, fundraisers, carnivals and such. And with COVID, we were unable to do all of that physically face-to-face. And I thought a lot of us were feeling a little bit demotivated. But I think as time went on, we started to pump vigor back into us and, and get new life into us. And I was just amazed because the student leadership body, I didn't really expect us to push ourselves as hard as we did because of um, COVID and because of all these restrictions. The action strand, um, part of our student leadership, ended up actually doing a lot of charity outreaches to um, the homeless during this time, food drives, clothes drives. Um, our well-being team was constantly updating the student bulletin with ways um, to relax and how to manage yourself and your well-being, teaching mindfulness during this time of online learning. And I was just blown away by, by how much the students were involved in making sure that we all together felt like a family, you know, we didn't feel like a school, we felt like, um, like, like a community, we felt like a tight knit community, like, a, you know, like people that could connect with one another. So I was just so blown away by how GIS um, as a whole managed to tackle all of this. And I think it's something that we really should be celebrating more. of. Okay. Thanks, Alex. Uh, again, one of those words that keep coming through about community and support and connecting with one another. Um, we're we're kind of going to just aware of time, we're going to skip through then. Obviously, the MCO got extended then into the CMCO, the RMCO, and so on. But then um, I remember about August time, uh, July, um, meeting with Rob and so on, as we started to prepare for coming back into school. So, Rob, I'd like to bring you back at this point. Um, could you maybe uh, just briefly talk us through that, that time? What, what kind of preparations did you go through? Well, how did we start preparing to bring uh, students back into school safely and maintain the, the, the health and safety of our community at that time? Yeah, I mean, this, the, the, the staging for this really was towards the end of the, the school year, the, the academic year in, in June. The government announced at that particular stage that schools could start to welcome back students onto campus. Uh, and for us, we only had a couple of days before we broke up for the summer holiday. But we took, took the opportunity to bring back our year 12 and our year 13, and we had some graduation celebrations with our year 13. And we started to model and prepare for full school opening in, in, in August. So during the summer holiday, we spent a lot of time as a senior leadership team sort of planning for, for school opening on the 14th of August. And I remember distinctly the government provided three options for schools. One was that schools could welcome back all of the students onto campus if they could ensure that they could have social distancing and that health and safety and all of the SOPs from the government could be carried out. The second option was to stagger different year groups back in or maybe to have different year groups on different days, etc. And the third option was like a, a, a hybrid model between some students physically on campus and some students at home. So obviously the GIS community that we've talked at length about today, I knew were really keen to get the whole of the student body back. Uh, and this was a massive task for us because we are the largest international school in Malaysia, almost 2000 students. Uh, so in order to get all of those students back 
at the, uh, in the middle of August was a, a Herculean effort from our staff, putting together the SOPs, making sure that we could ensure social distancing in school, uh, looking at entry and exit, uh, and all of those kind of things took a great, great deal of effort. But again, I come back to that word, the word that we've all been using today. It was staff coming together, taking feedback from, from parents, um, and looking at that SOP, putting that SOP in, in, into practice. And so when we came into school on the 14th of August, there was a real sense of, of, of relief, I think, of getting the kids back into school and the atmosphere. I can, I can remember distinctly the atmosphere in those first couple of days at school. Students are back. We, as educators, we, we love the social environment. And to, just to have the kids back in school uh, in, in the physical, on the physical campus was great. But then again, uh, like, uh, I mean, Nicola has mentioned a number of times, we took feedback from our parental body about how could we, we improve the SOP? How could we look at the, the entry and exit from school? So we kept tweaking and improving, just like we'd done with the continuity of learning program, until we got to the stage where things were, were running really, really smoothly. Um, we were all super, super, super happy. And then, of course, we come to the next stage, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a little later on. Uh, and, and very briefly, Dr. Gabriel, from a parent perspective then, how did you feel about students coming back into school and, and about um, adjusting, if you will, from, from school online to back, back into the physical building? Uh, Dr. Gabriel, you're muted. Sorry, sorry, won't happen again. Uh, so I think uh, just as our parents, we were <laughs> our kids, we were very happy that they could go back. My kids are in primary, and I think that social contact with uh, with peers is extremely important. And no matter how good the online learning is, uh, it doesn't substitute uh, the social context and the social uh, abilities what they learn in these years. So I I would be really happy to go back with them to school as soon as possible. And uh, as Robert mentioned, the SOPs were also, in my, my medical opinion, extremely good. Uh, the, the organization, especially with drop-offs and pickups, were excellent. I, I think it was even better than it was before. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I really cross fingers that we can go back as soon as possible. Okay, thanks, Oko. And uh, well, just Bring in a, a last few questions now. Um, obviously, we've gone back into CMCO and we've gone back to online learning. How, um, and I'll open this up to anyone on the panel actually, but how do you feel our experiences through the initial MCO, through the VR MCO, and so on? How do you feel those experiences have uh, enabled us to, to implement the CMCO and to go back onto online learning at this time? Shall I jump in there, David, first? Um, it, it, it's hugely different this time. We're, we're in a much more confident place. We, we were so completely prepared this time in a way that we weren't last time. Um, we, we developed a new continuity of learning website and platform um, during the last MCO. So we've enhanced that. We've done more staff training. 
Um, we've we've actually even developed training modules for the new staff that have joined the school, and, and that will be part of our standard practice now going forwards. Because there could be a number of other reasons um, why schools may may need to close in the future. We hope they don't, but we we believe in um, preparing, hoping for the best, preparing for the worst is a phrase that we use. Uh, and I think all of our students were much more prepared as well this time. Okay, and I think we're going to finish up with kind of maybe two much broader questions. Um, obviously just reading through the media, reading through different education blogs and so on. There's lots of talk out there about how the pandemic and how school closing has changed education. So uh, a very big, broad question, but how has, edu how has the pandemic, do you feel, changed education moving forward? Or do you think uh, a year from now we'll be going back to exactly the way we were a year ago? Um, and again, I'll just open that up to, to any member of the panel. I'll jump in. I can give you a one hour answer, but I'll try and do it in a minute. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I think we'd be foolish to say that things will return exactly as they were before. And, um, you know, as a school, one of our core values is excellence. Alex has mentioned already, and that's continuous improvement in everything we do. And I think we take this opportunity, everything that we've learned through the last six, seven, eight months, um, and it will change the future of education. You know, just the ability to conduct lessons online, which hadn't been a, a key feature of our school previously, um, I can see being a part of the future moving forward, whether we can physically be back in or not. Um, I think our focus on well-being in a broader sense, it, again, it's been a core value and it's been something we've worked on very much in school, but I think we've now started to look at well-being amongst the community more. Um, and start considering the, the wider group of people we work with. So I think it will change. I think education, I mean, I'm interested in the future of exams and assessments and how things like that are going to change moving forwards. And Alex has been a bit of a guinea pig this year, having had his exams cancelled on him. Um, but yeah, the education won't stay still and it, it never does. Um, and I think there are lots of key things we can take out of this experience and, and develop GIS as a school much further. Thank you, Amy. Maybe one other person, their views on how the experiences over the last nine months have shaped um, education moving forward. David, can I just um, add a couple of things to, to what Amy had, had mentioned there? I'm, I'm the world's eternal optimist, so I, I try to look at things from the, the, the glass, glass half, uh, half full rather than half empty. Um, I think what this has done for GIS particularly has cemented a lot of things which were strong already about the community and about the school. So uh, engagement with our parental body, I think, has reached another level. Uh, and the feedback that we've taken from, from our parents has been very, very constructive. And that's been a real sort of le learning journey for, for, us, for us all. It's been really, really positive. I think the importance, and again, this has been alluded to, of, of clear and concise communication. Uh, we, we knew that before, but this has been incredibly important at this particular moment in time and will continue to be so. So I think that that has, has, has been very, very important. Also, I think um, definitive and decisive decision-making when it is necessary has been shown to be very, very important. And it's something we've taken on as a, as a clear message mo moving forward. Um, cementing that relationship between home and school. I often talk about John Hattie, the, the leading educationalist, who talks about the importance of homeschool uh, engagement. Uh, and that, again, as I said before, is, is something that's always been strong, but because parents have been involved as educators at home with a continuity of learning programme, 
they've got more on the inside of the programmes. And I think that that has been, again, a, a, a positive as we move forward. Of course, the use of technology, the blended models, I think all of those things are going to be uh, important as we go as we go forward. We're never going to go back to what it was like before, but I hope, like Dr. Gabriel says, we can get back to the physical education of the kids in school as soon as possible. Thanks, Rob. And I guess the, the question um, I'd like to finish with before we go to questions that have been um, put forward by by viewers out there, is what have we learned about ourselves as a community during this time? So Rob has alluded to that word community uh, a number of times, you've talked about technology, but how, has, how have the experiences shaped our thinking and how have they shaped our learning uh, moving forwards? Uh, and again, just an open question to anyone, how have the, the experiences of the last nine months shaped our learning and thinking um, to this point? I think if I can jump in again, David, the, um, the word that's been mentioned a few times about communication, and again, it's one of our core values. Um, and I think the understanding and the learning about the importance of communication during a time like this has strengthened the community. Uh, I know Rob and myself and Nicola have had lots of conversations about what's been communicated and when and how and um, ensuring that there's enough information, but not too much and it's timely and um, you know, Dr. Gabriel's mentioned that as well as, as being a strength of the school. So I think that has supported our development of that community feel, getting the right communication between different stakeholders in the school um, and something that we can continue to work on. Okay. Thank you, Amy. Well, with that uh, data, um, I believe we'll, we'll bring together uh, to a close our questions, if you will, and our discussion. And I'm, I'm aware that there's a number of questions that have been brought to, to us. So if, if you like, we can go to those and, and answer those as best we can. Yeah, we could. We could share the questions. You can uh, you can view it as well, right, um, David? Um, okay, maybe. Do you want me to address it or would you like to address it yourself to the panelists? I'm happy to, to bring it forward. Okay, so um, first question, how do we keep students excited and engaged in learning uh, when virtual learning can come with many distractions. So how do we keep students motivated and engaged while learning online? Uh, maybe Miss Nelson can see you smiling there, so uh, I'll, I'll yeah. come to you. Yeah, because I think that can, that can be, I mean, it's relevant to all age groups, but it, I think it can be particularly relevant to the primary children, who are the children that, I, um, that I'm particularly responsible for. So I think it's, the first part of the question is, it's what we do anyway, that's what we do as educators. We always have to think about how to keep students excited and engaged. So it's how we use the technology and how we do that online. And th those are skills that our teachers have learned very quickly. So it's about knowing what the interests of the children are. It's about finding um, techniques and ways to do that. I was talking to our head of music yesterday who was describing how he'd been leaping around in his, in his condo yesterday morning and singing with the children um, in the music lesson so it's it's just about again tapping into the children's interests and making sure that we are we are being animated and you know that that's what we do that's our bread and butter as educators anyway it's just doing it through a different medium can i jump in there david as well just just a couple of things to add to that uh, beyond the the curriculum the, the school has developed it's our website, Smarter, Stronger Together, with some really exciting activities for, for all, the whole community to be involved in. 
And also um, because the, the, the physical CCA program we can't, we can't uh, take place at the moment, we've developed a virtual CCA program as well. So those kinds of things are exciting things which are beyond the, the, the academics, which I think are important as well. We, we've had another question then about motivation and maybe um, Alex, I might bring you in on this one. How, there's a query here about how, how did you maintain motivation during online classes as compared to in-person physical classes? How did you as a student maintain your motivation, if you will, or how did your, your friends and, and other classmates maintain motivation during online learning? Yeah, so um, one of the big things that really helped me out at least when staying motivated in online lessons was partly thanks to the structure of our online lessons. They are not the same as our physical in-school classes, whereas normally for in-school, we'd have about five to ten minutes um, break in between lessons in order for us to just change over. In online learning, we actually get a half an hour break in between our lessons, uh, at least for those in secondary school. And um, it's also changed. So normally our lessons are one hour, 10 minutes long, but we've reduced that to an hour long. And I think that um, it was a really smart move by the school because um, as a student myself, you know, being con like trying to concentrate for an hour and 10 minutes sometimes can be really difficult. So by shortening the lesson time and increasing the gap between lessons helps you to reset your brain. So within that 60 minute period that your lesson's going on, you're working as hard as you absolutely can and putting 100% effort. And then that 30 minute break, you get to completely move away from the screen, get to just, you know, um, for me, I play the piano in between my, my lesson time. And I find it's a great way for me to relax my brain and to, to not stare at the screen so much. I think um, it, it's kind of up to, um, to that student, how they want to tackle that motivation. I think a lot of my friends as well, we like to just walk away from the screen after our lesson's done because we're so you know tired of seeing the blue screen. But um, yeah, I think that motivation partly comes from the way that online lessons have been structured. And I think it's um, been done and executed really well. Okay, so also around the structure, the timetable and the flow of the day. Okay, thanks, Alex. Um, here's a question about comparing online and physical classes. So um, maybe Miss Ward, this one to you. Do you think there were any benefits to online classes as opposed to physical classes? I think we've talked a lot about the, the difference, but were there any opportunities that move into online classes um, that, that, that presented? Yeah, I think um, in terms of first the comparison, like they are, they are obviously not the same online classes and, and in-person classes, they are very different. That said, however, there are lots of principles of teaching in person that you can still apply online in a slightly different format. But um, I think being online sometimes allowed some students uh, perhaps actually a greater voice than they may have had in the classroom. And Beth talked about those students who sometimes find school um, a place that is makes them feel anxious or find social interactions difficult. And online with um, you know features just like the chat bar we have here on Zoom, I would have students being able to answer questions discreetly or I could reach out to them in the middle of a lesson and have some kind of dialogue which would be perhaps less easy to do face-to-face -face in a room with with 24 um, students in a particular class. So I think the um, creativity and the ability to change how we reached out to each student and interacted with them, questioned them and un 
and kind of assess their understanding through online learning and continue to do at the moment actually gives us some advantage with an online platform. Um, you know, there are various tools I've talked about that we've used in terms of keeping that motivation and excitement and engagement in lessons, but also giving us a huge amount of information and data quickly, which we're collecting virtually on screen and having um, kind of a record of each time we teach a lesson so we can see how well students have understood. Um, so I think th there is clearly there's a difference, you know, I'd much rather being a social person be face to face with people, but at the same time, I do love being able to still engage and talk to my classes um, and, and have that opportunity to speak to every individual who perhaps might have found that more difficult face to face. Thanks, Amy. Beth, I'd like to bring you in now as well. Um, we've had a, a question here about coping mechanisms. All about um, strategies to support that fear and uncertainty um, and about particularly about being at home and that in inability to go out in the way that we would maybe like. Um, maybe you'd like to comment on on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to begin with, I think that's several questions in one. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that it's very difficult. I think, you know, Dr. Gabriel uh, alluded to the fact that uh, you know, our young people are not only learning academics at school, but they're learning social skills, they're learning how to be people in, within a community. Um, they're, they've, they've got developmental milestones that include how they relate to themselves and each other. And, and that requires the social interaction um, uh, in and amongst students. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do think that there were some students who, um, found themselves in, in the most boring version of themselves ever. These are students who uh, prided themselves in maybe sports activities or in instrumental activities or um, in, you know, Alex was speaking about all of these charitable fundraising ideas that, that they had hoped to accomplish last year and, and weren't able to. Um, and, and so I, I think that that part of that coping was finding ways to mitigate the disappointment um, that they weren't able to maybe pursue some of their passions, some of their interests and find substitutions um, to just sort of carry them through in that, in that meantime. Um, but, but I think for a, a lot of families, this uh, allowed them to develop a new way of talking to each other um, where uh, they, they might have, have not discussed uh, how they were thinking or how they were feeling or what was going on with them. And I think because they were together for, for such a length of time, they developed a new way of communicating and understanding and empathizing and being kind and, and compassionate to each other. Um, so I think that was a very positive aspect that came out of it and that, that helped a lot of our, our young people cope. Um, and it also allowed us to talk a lot about uh, stress and anxiety that oftentimes schools uh, pigeonhole in terms of exams. And now we were able to sort of zoom out and, and talk about it on a larger scale in terms of, of the unpredictability of, of what the pandemic means uh, on an educational, uh, in an, an, an educational way, in terms of uh, a whole family dynamic financial way or, or what it means socially for them. Um, so we were able to really keep to, to better understand stress and anxiety and also to give families better ways to, to, to cope with that. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it, it, we're in sort of our pseudo new normal. Um, and I think before it was a little bit more diff difficult because we weren't able to, to get out at all. 
Um, and, and now uh, there's a, a little bit more structure. There's some, some sports going on. Um, there's some, you know, kids are allowed to pursue some of their passions to some extent. And, and I think that's allowed a lot of people to cope. Yeah. We've had an interesting question here from, um, from one person, seeing how we can apply some of the learning here to ourselves as adults. And this person has alluded to something which Alex mentioned earlier on about screen time. And uh, the question is, how do we reconcile the screen time spent um, alongside mental health and well-being? And are there any particular systems or tools that, that we might use? So maybe Beth, coming back to you again. Um, yeah. Connection of mental health and screen time. Yeah, I think one of the things that we keep hearing during this period is, is not all technology is the same. And uh, so we, we need to look at what we're deriving out of it. I think one of the big concerns is we, you know, always wanted to limit our access to technology um, because of, of gaming addictions, because of electronics addictions, because that instant gratification that was going along with it. But now it's our tool for connection. A lot of our students would go to school for the day and on the weekends they would connect, they would socialize, they would bond with their peers by gaming um, through social media, um, TikTok, Instagram, all of those things. And so we'd be remiss to say, okay, now that it's the pandemic, um, you can't do your Instagram, you can't do your TikTok, you know, it, it would almost feel like a bit of a punishment. Um, and we need to remember that there are social benefits to, to connecting uh, using electronics. Um, and, and in some way it's, it's necessary. Now it's the manner in which we use electronics that's the difference. And I think as long as we're having those very open, honest conversations with our young people, uh, I encourage electronic contracts when kids are, are younger, um, even going into secondary school, let's talk about what is healthy, what is, um, let's talk about e-safety, about being safe online, um, looking at our digital footprint, et cetera. Um, so as long as we're having that conversation in an open, warm, educational way, our children are always more receptive to understanding um, the, the potential dangers of technology, but also the benefits. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories of children who are FaceTiming their grandparents and they're, they're showing them the piano piece they played and doing a dance and showing them an art piece, um, you know, whilst they're having that conversation. And, and so that to me is an invaluable use of it. And I would never want to limit that kind of contact because we're on, on Zoom all of the day. Um, but certainly there will be uh, moments where we need to completely detox and, and stay away and maybe bond over a board game. Um, and, and the last question um, that I think we've, we've still got to answer um, and open this up to the panel in general. It says, what, have we seen any differences in children in terms of behavior, their determination, their creativity? Um, I, I'm not sure if this is as a result of online teaching or just as a result of, of the experiences over the last six to nine months. Just a, an open question. Have we seen any differences in terms of children's behavior, particularly around their resilience and their creativity? I think some of these things have been mentioned already, but I do think um, obviously it's different for every single child and some you don't see a huge difference and some you do see a big difference. I think the difference has been 
the as Alex has described the ability of our students to kind of pick up and to still be motivated and still want to be the best and still um, want to contribute to the community and um, take on the leadership responsibilities they have in the school. So I think um, the difference might be that we've never been in this situation before and we've been, you know, on the whole, really pleasantly surprised with how our students have responded. Um, yes, for some students, it is really difficult and Beth has talked about families where it's a real challenge and, um, you know, behaviour in terms of perhaps engagement with online learning has been more difficult. But for others, it has given them the opportunity to thrive and to um, really show and really excel in areas that perhaps we didn't see or we weren't able to see so easily before. Um, so yeah, I think there are differences and I think, you know, you can't generalize for the whole student body, but for certain individuals, it's it's been a real positive difference. Um, and and for some, they've been a bit of a roller coaster. Sometimes it's been great and other times it's been really tough. Um, and I think it will continue to be like that. Um, as we come to the end, any anyone else who would like to add anything to that or, or just to any aspects that we've talked about today? I think I'd just add, David, to, to what Amy's just said, that our, our student body have been amazing. They, they've, they've been absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, they, they have, in general, shown such a huge degree of resilience and flexibility. And, and I think we would hope that they will, they will take positives away from this situation, whilst we would all love to just have all of our students back in school. I think there are lots of um, learning points and new skills that they will have taken from the situation in a positive way. Okay, thank you. Um, and just one last question that's just uh, popped up. How do we ensure that our children felt safe during this, this time? Um, uh, aware of the time, any, any brief answers? How did we ensure that children felt safe uh, from early years through to um, sixth form? I, I think a, a lot of, uh, I, I believe anxiety is contagious. And uh, as, as parents, we communicate uh, an emotional message without words. So I think if we're not looking at ourselves, if we're not practicing self-care, if we're not calming our own anxieties, um, looking things in a very informed uh, way, um, our, our kids are going to pick up on it. Um, and we are our source of safety for our young people. If we're um, giving off a sense that things are not safe by um, contagion, uh, our, our children are not going to feel safe. Um, and, that, and that means being very, um, like I said, sensible and informed um, and, and demonstrating that self-care so our children know how to take care of themselves when they feel anxious or stressed outside of our, our presence. Right, um, I'd just like to thank the panel, um, Alex, Dr. Gabriel, uh, Rob, Nicola, Amy and Beth. A massive thank you for taking time to answer the questions and to respond to the questions that uh, members out there have uh, provided for us. Um, so, Ada, over to you. Thank you. All right, thank you, David, and thank you all panelists. Um, if you allow me, I would add another two questions. One from the Facebook team, they have flagged me. They wanted to know something from Alex. Um, so this question is dedicated to you, Alex. Um, this person, he wants to know, or he or she wants to know, how have you and your peers cope um, not being able to meet up socially? Right, yeah. So um, 
the the whole situation of you know being at home and not being able to see friends face to face i think it was um initially for us uh, i felt a little bit isolated i felt that sometimes it might i felt a little bit sad that i couldn't see my friends in school and of course mm-hmm. being at school is one of the core places where you build social connections you know getting to know your schoolmates and and um getting to know them better and to spend time with them but I think that once again with the advent of technology there have been so many things we've been able to do um particularly with my friends as well um after lessons uh, usually in the evenings after dinner um you know we like to hang out on on Skype or on Discord where you know we play online games together um you know like board games uh, like you know online D&D and stuff like that I think that was a really really great way that we could connect and I think it's just about finding out what um you know your your child really enjoys doing it and helping mm. to facilitate them to be able to find avenues in which they can strengthen the bonds between their friends or if your child's telling you or asking you hey you know there's this um uh you know there's this thing that I want to do with my friends online um you know and you should try to facilitate that as a parent i think that's a it's a really wonderful thing when you can see your child happy and and comfortable that they're still able to make so many connections i think it's just such a wonderful thing so um yeah just coming back to answer the question help your child to to make the most out of um this um their their youth basically help them to be more sociable and to to give them the opportunities they want to connect with friends that's that's what i would um say yeah be supportive in short right yeah be supportive parents or teachers and friends around you and um this is a personal question from me as well to elect again i was just wondering um are you an avid um sports goer do you play sports a lot elect um i like to swim and i like to play um table tennis in my spare time okay so how have you been keeping up with your eca activities after school i mean you know it's very limited how do you discipline yourself to actually keep uh, you know doing online classes or have you been doing that like you subscribe to any you know other sports online or probably gis uh, provide some sort of a channel for you to refer to mm yeah yeah i think that's a really great question mm. um yeah. obviously um now with the cmco back in place we're not really able to do physical sports um in communities i used to play a lot of table tennis with my my family mm. because we have one uh, in our apartment but mm. i think that i was still able to take care of my well-being and mm. you know i i try my best to exercise um you know three times a week you know uh, either by doing some calisthenics you know doing push-ups or or by following exercise routines um with my family um with online instagram have you been disciplined sessions. doing it sorry to interrupt but have you been <laughs> very disciplined the, doing it i hope for the most part i have been i think i am good. yeah keeping it keeping the weight off you know <laughs> i got to keep it trim yeah yep. but um good mm. okay wonderful wonderful to know um and yes actually there's no more questions from me but before we um and and close this webinar maybe um i would give the last uh, say to mr stitch if you would like to say a few words before we leave the channel and before i close the session rob thank you teacher uh, thank you to the panelists excellent and um, i really enjoyed the the conversation and and david did an excellent job um hosting and uh, adjudicating the panel i just like to bookend the 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 end of this session with the three words that i mentioned at the beginning 
which were legacy, community and challenge. To me, particularly community and challenge has come up massively throughout all of the comments that we've made. Uh, as a community, we've, we've come through the challenges of COVID-19 to where we are today. We've faced the challenge, challenges head on. We've been solution driven. And I would say again, that's probably to do with the legacy and the history of the school. We've built this strong community, which has grown even stronger during the last nine months. And that's testimony to everybody. Uh, the, the staff, both the academic and the admin working together, the parental body are working with us and giving us positive constructive feedback and the students who have been so positive and resilient in everything that they've done. It's been a sort of, it's been a real proud moment to be part of the team at GIS. And well done GIS. Thank you Rob for your um, last few words and I will close the webinar formally now, but before we go, a few announcements, yeah. Uh, thank you to all the GIS panelists and for sharing for such um, comprehensive inputs and great insights about the topic today from each and every one of you, how the GIS community have been responding to the pandemic positively during these trying times. I do feel your sentiments as well, going through the challenges and uncertainties for the past eight months. Well, let's hope that this uh, shall end soon. 2021 at least uh, should be a fresh start for all of us with some new norms, I suppose. Yeah. Bye bye now. Thank you, everyone.